Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. All right, if we could go ahead and bring it back together. I love seeing you guys fellowship. It's awesome. It warms my heart. I know, right? Especially, especially on the back of Brett saying, soak up every minute, I kind of feel bad almost being like, no, stop, stop fellowshipping right now. <laughs> yeah, if we can just make our way back, we'll go ahead and, and get rolling here. Uh, I, am, I am grateful uh, to be here uh, gathering with God's people, as Bobby said earlier. Um, I'm just really glad that we have an opportunity to do that um, and that the Lord... Uh, through the wisdom of our elders, has made a way that as many people can be together as possible. Uh, he is a very good God, and um, I'm grateful for every opportunity I get to be with you guys. Um, and I'm uh, grateful and, and humbled and a little bit nervous uh, about the opportunity to share God's word with you. Um, we're going to be in a passage that is uh, very uh, important uh, to the faith. Um, it's a passage that I... Um, that I really like as well. Um, and I, I, I discovered this morning that it's a, a favorite passage of somebody else who's very, uh, very dear to me. Uh, and as I went to study this passage uh, this last couple of weeks when Brett let me know that uh, he, he wanted, uh, wanted me to, to teach this morning, um, I really dug in. But the last, uh, the last week or so, um, putting the finishing touches together and just everything that goes on in life, um, you know, I, I teach actually seven classes, and I'm taking four. So, and I've got three kids, and I'm the dad bus, and so my, my plate is pretty full, and I've, I've become painfully aware in, in the last week, um, the last few months, really, with, with being at home and everything, about how just inadequate I am in and of myself. Um, I am that sheep. I am prone to wander. I am fearful. I am anxious. Uh, I want to go every which way, um, but the way that the Lord wants me to go. Um, and I'm not trusting. And a lot of times I don't want him on the throne of my life. Even with this whole time, I'm thinking, did I really have enough time to put a message together? Did I really... Was I able to give it my full attention? Is it going to be good? I'm a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to stuff like that. And uh, all of these lies and things coming in just to try to take my eye off of who God is and, and who he is to me uh, and who I am to him. And then God, being such a good God, sends little reminders uh, along the way to remind uh, even small things. Like this morning, for instance, uh, this ESV Bible that I'm going to be teaching out of this morning belongs to my grandfather who passed away a year and a half ago. Um, it was given to me uh, after, after he died um, because they, my whole family knows I'm in seminary and they feel, you know, what I need is another Bible on top of the 13 that I have at home already. But I, I went through and I, I went to bookmark uh, the passage so that I could access it really easily this morning and go back to it. And what did I find? I found there was already a bookmark there. This is one of my grandfather's favorite passages as well. And 
that was God reminding me this morning that he, he's got it all working. You know, I'm not one for signs, but I'm going to take that as, as a sign and as a reminder that God is on the throne um, and, that, and that I do really belong to him and he is really good. Um, the Lord, through Brett, has done a masterful job of laying that out the last few weeks of who we are and who we're meant to be uh, as the people of God and what that should look like. Um, but this week, I, I think it's really, really fitting that on the back of all of that, that we turn around and we look and we see who God is. The truth is, um, because all of these are important formative things, um, recognizing the person around whom all this revolves is even more important. And the truth is that God, the God we serve, has done magnificent things. He is wonderful. He is beautiful, as we sang this morning. He is merciful. He has built a kingdom for his son that we get to take part in, which is amazing. And the one who saved us is the king. He's the king of the kingdom that God the Father has built for him. Now, normally that would play right into all my anxieties because you see all, the, if you look back through the history of kings, it was generally a fearful thing to come across the king. But being the subjects of this king that's not true, because this is no ordinary king. This morning's text is rich, and it's one that we could preach a whole series on if we wanted to. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to focus on just one thing. So no rabbit trails, hopefully. Am's like, no, there are rabbit trails. <laughs> there are always rabbit trails, right? But we could, we could teach a series, and we still wouldn't even scrape the bottom of what this passage is trying to convey to us. But for today, I want to bring up three, uh, three questions that we can ask from this text. Number one, who is this king? That's the title of the message. Number two, what has this king done for us? And number three, why has this king done these things for us? So if you have your booklets, um, if you do have, you have your Bibles and you'd rather read out of your Bibles, that's great too. Um, I'm going to be reading again from the ESV. We're going to be reading Colossians 1. And we're going to read 9 to 23. Colossians 1, 9 through 23. If I can keep the wind from blowing. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So there's a, there's a lot here to unpack, obviously. Uh, but the, the first thing that I'd like to touch on this morning is, who exactly is this king? Who is this Jesus that we proclaim came to earth, God in the flesh, lived a blameless life, fulfilled the law perfectly, which no other man could ever do or hope to do, die a death that he did not deserve, so that we vicariously might partake in that death and in the resurrection that came to show that that sacrifice was sufficient and he indeed is, was, and always will be God. Who is this Jesus? Paul does a really good job of laying this out for us. If we look back in verse 15, he says, the first thing he says is he is the, the image of the invisible God. He carries the exact likeness and the exact nature of the Father in order that we may see, know, and understand him for who he really is. Jesus said that in John when they said, show us the Father. It will be enough. Jesus says, you've seen me. You have seen the Father. He carries the very nature of of God, the way that God thinks towards us, the way that God acts toward us, is all borne out in what we see in Scripture of the Son. He is the Word. He is the Lagos. I can pronounce that because I'm taking Greek now. Lagos. Where we get the word logo, right? But the Word, if you look up the definition of Word, it's the expression of an idea or a thought. Jesus is God's expression to us because no man can see the Father and live because we are sinful human creatures. So Jesus came that we might see the Father. He and the Father, he says in John chapter 10, are one. And make no mistake, the Pharisees knew exactly what he was saying because they picked up rocks to try to stone him at that moment. He was saying, I am eternal God. Not only is he the image of the invisible God, but he is the preeminent of all creation. Now, most versions use the term firstborn here in verse 16. Uh, and that is often actually used to attack the deity of Christ. But ironically, this is what Paul is actually warning people against. People are going to attack the deity of Christ. But he says he is the firstborn of all creation in order to actually point out that no, he is not, not God. He is God. The term firstborn in scripture, um, that's a Greek word I haven't learned yet, so I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it, it, it's used abstractly in this sense. It can mean firstborn, um, as in the first, but it always means firstborn. It doesn't mean first made. And in an abstract sense, it's a position of honor. This is what's talked about in verse in, in 118, where there's a position of honor, there's a position of preeminence. Uh, it's every, everything revolves around him. He is the highlight. He's the pinnacle uh, of everything. And we see this going forward because everything's created through and for him. He was active in creation. 
If he's present and active in creation, he's not a created being, right? He's God, because God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 is pretty clear on that. All things were created through him, and all things were created for him. And that's a very interesting preposition there, because a lot of us will agree that God created, and Jesus was present in creation, and he created all of this. It all came through him. No problems there. But it was also all created for him, which means that each one of you, whether you believe or whether you don't, are created for God, through God and for God, through Christ and for Christ. And not only this, but he is the one by whom all things are sustained. Hebrews 1.3, which we read earlier, says this very thing. He upholds all things by the word of his power. All of this persists because he wills it to be so. One day, this is David talking, one day when it talks about the earth dissolving in fervent heat, I just think he's no longer going to will it to be so. And that's it. But until then, he wills that all things persist. And he sustains everything just by saying it. We can believe that because when everything was created, God just said, light be, and light was. His word is that powerful. So we have a king who is the image of God, and he is the preeminent among everything. And he's the creator, and he's the sustainer. If... He not only is create, creates things, but he sustains things. Then simply by default, he must be preeminent in all things. This is why the forces of darkness work so hard to undermine both the creation narrative and the deity of Christ. Because if both of those things are true, if Christ is God and Christ created everything, then one must admit that he is preeminent and he is Lord of everything. And to admit that means that you become accountable for everything else. Christ is also the head of the church. He is the firstborn of the dead. Now, when we talk about the firstborn of the dead, we can say Christ was the first raised from the dead, but we see through the scripture that there were other people that were raised from the dead. So we add a little, I add a little bit at the end. Christ is the firstborn of the dead in the sense that he was the first to be raised from the dead, never again to die. And we too, one day, this, this tent, as Paul writes it, is going to pass away um, you know, sooner or later. For some of us, it may be very soon. For most of us, uh, a lot of us, it's going to be a while. I hope for everybody it's a while. But we too will be changed like this one day. We will be raised again, never again to die. I won't belabor this, this point of the head of the church because Brett's done a really good job of illustrating that over the last few weeks, but we are the body and Christ is the head. Everything flows, as Brett said, from the head. Without the head, the body doesn't do anything because all of the actions and all of the, uh, everything that fires is all up here. It's all in the brain, right? And so without the head, we're nothing. So we have a king who... Uh, was there at the beginning. He's preeminent. He's Lord over everything because he creates it, he sustains it, and he upholds it all through the word of his power. That is who our king is. And what has our king done? 
is the question. And what he's done is he has reconciled everything to himself through the cross. It says, through the work of his cross. He's reconciled everything in heaven and on earth has been reconciled to him. All things, no exceptions, no outs, no everything except. He's reconciled all things to himself. This means, because if you take this one way, you imply that everything is going to be saved, which would be universalism, and we don't believe that, unfortunately. It would be nice if everybody was saved, but the reality is that's not going to happen. But what it means is that all things are now subject to Christ. He is placed above everything. He's been given the name that's above all names, and everything has been placed under his command. And this comes... And this is really cool. I really like that we participate in communion as much as we do because it says that this comes both through the body, verse 22, and through the blood, verse 20. The reconciliation comes through the work of the cross, through the breaking of his body, and through the pouring out of his blood. He reconciles everything back to him. Not only that, but he gives us redemption and the forgiveness of sins. If you look at verse 14, this is through and in him, and it's through and in him alone. In Christ, we have redemption, and we have the forgiveness of sins. And we not only have our sins forgiven, we talk about that one a lot, because it's important. We are sinful people, and we need to have our sins forgiven. But even more important than that is the fact that not only are our sins forgiven, but we have redemption through Christ. And redemption works a little bit like this. Um, if you may be familiar with this, you may not. There's a, there's a, a, a small pamphlet, little book, storybook um, that was published about 15, 20 years ago that's used in evangelism all over the place. Uh, it talks about the boy who lost his boat. And this boy, I'm going to paraphrase real quick. I'm not going to lay out like the entire story, so you're going to get the Reader's Digest version. But basically, this boy painstakingly makes this wooden boat, toy boat, on a string, and he goes to, to lead it around in the bodies in the body's water around where he lives. Well, one day, um, he, he leads it through a particularly rough patch of water, and the string comes undone. And he's forced to just, he, he's forced to just watch as the boat floats away, presumably never to be seen again. And he, he's very sad about this because he's made this boat. He spent lots of hours on this boat. He loved that boat, and now it's gone. Well, he, works, he walks through town one day. Um, sometime later, and he goes through, walks past a shop, and in the window of the shop, he sees a boat that looks an awful lot like his boat. And he, he looks at it very, very carefully, and he comes to the conclusion that that actually is his boat that's now in this shop. And so he goes into the shopkeeper, and he ex tries to explain, you know, that, that's my boat. Well, son, this boat was sold to me by somebody, so now it's my boat. No, 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 it's my boat. Look, it's got all these markings on the bottom. It's even got my initials on it. Just turn it over, and you'll look. You'll see it's my boat. And the shopkeeper is very firm and says, no, you'll have to pay for this boat if you, want to, if you want to have that boat. You need to buy it from me. And so the boy works really, really hard, and he saves his pennies and scrimps and saves and everything he can do. And finally, he goes back to the store, and he purchases that boat. And as he goes home, he holds the boat, and he kind of looks at it, and he talks to the boat, and he says, now you're twice mine. First I made you, and now I bought you. And that's what Christ has done for us. He made us through creation, and then he bought us at the cross. Those who were born again are twice born. And in that sense, 
we are twice bought. We are twice Christ's. So that is what he has done in giving us forgiveness and redemption. But he's also been given, passively, a kingdom over God's people to rule and to reign forever. Now normally, as I said earlier, encountering a king is a very fearful thing. Because prior to some documents that passed in the 1200s, Magna Carta and all of that, that put the king under the law, prior to that, the king was the law. And if you did something the king didn't like, that would not be good for you. Or if you caught the king on a bad day, it would not be good for you. It's a fearful thing to come into the presence of a king. It's a fearful thing for citizens. But hopefully now we can see as we unpack this that we have a truly benevolent, wonderful, kind ruler. Simply because of why he has done this. And why has he done this? He has done this to present a church holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Now remember, no man can see God and live because he is impure. If you were to come before the Father, any of us were to become before the Father right now, we would be consumed because his presence cannot abide in perfection. But in Christ, we are a new creation. And we can stand before God in Christ's righteousness, not in ours, but in his righteousness and in his finished work. We can, we can stand before God. Now, Paul puts a qualifier here, and that is uh, if we continue in the faith. Now, I believe this is a reminder to examine ourselves. I don't think this is posing a question being like, there are some of you who think you are and aren't. That, that's not what Paul's getting at here. Paul is reminding us, reminding the Colossians, and by proxy us, to examine ourselves. But I think it's an encouragement primarily to cling to the truth. Because that's where Paul goes next. He says, if you continue in the faith steadfast and unmovable, clinging to the hope, again, paraphrasing here, that of the gospel that's been proclaimed through all the world. So if we cling, if we hold fast, if we hang on to the gospel that has been given for us and has been passed down once for all to the saints, if we hang on to that, all of the above is true. So the encouragement there is to hang on. It's not an indictment of people who might be playing the game. That's a side application because I hope that nobody here is playing the game. I can put my hand up and say there's a lot of times I mentioned in the open that, that I play the game. I don't want to play the game, but we're humans and we do. The important thing is that we cling to this gospel that is passed down for us. And the reason that God wants us to be a blameless and holy people above reproach before him through Christ's righteousness is so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the calling that God has called us to through the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's a list in the very beginning of this passage, verses 9, 10, 11, that, that it says what we should be doing. We should be bearing fruit and good works. We should be increasing in the knowledge of God. We should be strengthened in power, in God's power, for endurance and for patience and joy. Which means, reading between the lines, some situations are going to come in our lives where we're going to have to have endurance and patience and joy. It's not 
going to be all puppy dogs and rainbows all the time. I really enjoy those times. I really don't like the times where it's not puppy dogs and rainbows. But there are a lot of times where it's not all happy and things don't seem to be going right. And you're, you're working hard and you're burnt out and you're, and you're just cooked and you don't feel like you have anything more to give. And that's when God fills you with his power and his endurance and patience with joy in those situations. Not sucking it up like a good soldier, but going through and having that deep wellspring, that hope that still lives in you. And above all, to be able to give thanks to the Father in all things. Because he has given us this gift of citizenship in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And all of these things that are meant to happen. But um, the Hebrews have a saying, and they say this during Passover. Um, if God had just let us out of Egypt, dainu, that's the Hebrew word, it would have been sufficient. Had he let us out of Egypt, had he redeemed us from Egypt, dainu, it would have been enough. If he had let us out of Egypt, but not punished the Egyptians and could sing it for you, but uh, she knows a lot better than I do. But the whole thing is if he had brought it out of Egypt, but not punished the Egyptians, it would have been enough. Had he punished the Egyptians, but not let us further, that would be enough. It's kind of the inverse of if you give a mouse a cookie, right? That mouse never stops. But if you had done the very first thing, if God had done the very first thing, it would have been enough. If he had saved us and brought us into his kingdom, it would have been enough. But he wants so much more for us. He wants so much to have us be the, this Christ-like figure in our community and to walk uh, according to the Holy Spirit in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, that we might be God's ambassadors to the people around us. That whoever we come across, people who don't know the Lord, or maybe uh, we're, up, we're in church but we're jilted or jaded by church because of things that happened in the past, they didn't have a right understanding of God, that we can be the light to this world of what God really is, of who he really is, of who this king is, of what he's done and why he has done it. And that leads us to uh, applying the word here. And the first question is, uh, for all of us to consider is, is Christ my king? Because your answer to that question is going to dictate everything in your life. Everything. If Christ is not your king, if you're here today, if you're listening today, if you're viewing on Facebook or YouTube today and Christ is not your king, please, please, I will fold my hands here and I will beg you from the stage. I'm not above, I'm not above that. Please talk to one of the elders here today. Shoot us an email, a Facebook message, a comment on YouTube of how we can talk to you. We would love to talk to you more about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. So please don't let this morning pass by without talking to somebody about that, if that's you. If Christ is your king, if Christ is my king, do I fully grasp the implications of who he is? Probably about five years ago, seven years ago, I get all my trips mixed up. Seven years ago, my entire family went um, abroad to Romania. And we were traveling, we were there for a couple of weeks, um, exploring a possibility of being, um, of being missionaries there uh, at that time. So we went through two weeks, went through a bunch of different places in the country, just kind of saw what God was doing. It, it's a vision trip is basically what it, what it was. 
And so we were going through, and there's one moment from that trip. We had a lot of moments, but there's one moment that will stick with me forever. And we were in a mountain village, about you know 2,500 people up in the mountains, in the Carpathian Mountains, uh, central Romania. Uh, really remote, even by Romanian standards. This place was quite remote. Uh, and we were going through this village, and this village had a lot of ethnic tension because in Romania there are 24 different people groups, ethnically speaking, um, and none of them really play well with each other because it's uh, right next to the Balkans, and so you have all of this fraction, and uh, everything is, is, is really, really tense pretty much all the time. There's a reason they call the Balkans a powder keg, just one, just one thing, and the whole thing goes up. So Romania is similar to that in the sense that they've got a lot of people groups. So you have this couple that we, that we met. They were going through the catechism for the Romanian Baptist Church because they catechize all of their um, prospective members before they're baptized, before they're accepted into the church. And um, this couple was a, an inter-ethnic marriage. They, they came from di different ethnic backgrounds. The husband did and the wife did. And so they were really kind of ostracized by both of their groups because, you know, how dare you marry outside of your people group? And so they were really on their own. And um, in Romania, the culture is very patriarchal even now. It's moving towards something that's a little bit more, you know, complementary than, than truly patriarchal. And so women really, um, especially village women, didn't have a lot of value. The wife of this group um, couldn't read. She stayed at home and tended the house while the husband went and worked and, and liaised with everybody. She couldn't even read. And so she's sitting here going through this catechism, doesn't have a Bible that she can read and access. Everything is being explained to her. And her husband is going through this catechism with the missionary that we were working with. And he, uh, the husband's intent, like, riveted, answering all the questions and everything, and the wife is over in the corner just absolutely bawling. And I notice it, but I don't say anything because... You know, my Romanian's not great. It's good, but it's not great. And so I can't speak into that conversation at all, and I don't want to interrupt whatever God is doing here. You know, I'm a really, really interested observer at this moment. And so we leave the catechism session, and I turn to the missionary and say, you know, Rich, what was that? Well, the, the, the wife in there, she, she couldn't stop crying. Every, every word her husband said, she was just, just weeping. And she said, she, he, Rich said to me something powerful, and this is what I'll never forget. He said, she is starting to understand that the almighty king of the universe who came and made everything came and died for somebody as insignificant as her. Do we carry that weight with us? Do we understand the implications of who God is? Of who this king is? Third question, is Christ this type of king? If Christ is this type of king, rather, how should I respond? We've been transferred from the domain of darkness, Paul says, to the kingdom of his beloved son. This Christ, this benevolent, loving king. I think there's a, a line from When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It says, love so amazing so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If this king is good, if he's benevolent, if he's loving, if he's kind, that's the kind of king that we should follow to the end, wherever that end leads and whatever the cost is. Because that's who he is and that's what he's done. 
And then lastly, as the church, local and universal, are we keeping Christ the center? Is he preeminent in all things? Or are there things that we, God's church, are allowing to crowd out his centrality or to share um, co-chair status? And that could be really anything. A lot of the things that are going on today, you know, we, we, have, we have race issues in our country. That can be something that the church, in its eagerness to help, can, can really um, potentially let that supersede God. Uh, politics sexuality, money, power, fame, etc. Etc. is just because they're filling the blank here. Y'all y'all are probably thinking of something maybe that I didn't mention. But the thing that we need to remember is all of those things have been reconciled to Christ. All of those things are subject to Christ, our King. Pray with me if you would, please. Father, thank you so much for what you've done for transferring us from the domain of darkness from the bondage of sin and death and bringing us to the kingdom of your beloved son Jesus Lord not only did you make us but you have bought us we are twice yours mm -hmm. help us Lord as we as we let this passage digest uh, in our spirits right now and this week um, through the discussion guide and through our groups, Lord. Help us just to grasp the depths of, of what you've done for us and who you are, just like that Romanian woman, Lord. That we would understand that you, the king of the universe, the one who made all this, almighty in power and wisdom and knowledge, came and died a death you did not deserve for someone like me. Yes, Lord. Mm. Lord, I can't fathom that. But I pray that you give us the understanding this week to at least get a glimpse. And I pray that you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit this week that we might walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord bearing fruit in everywhere we go, and being an ambassador for your kingdom mm -hmm. to the citizens of darkness around us. Lord, we ask you for all of these things, for your glory, and in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thanks today for uh, sharing a great word this morning. And I can't think of a better way to respond than what we're about to do, which is we're going to come to the Lord's table and uh, to celebrate the fact that we have been twice born, twice bought. And so I want to encourage you, if you've got the little packet, pull it out. Again, for those who have not um, used one of these little packets before, you're going to, in a moment, be uh, taking off just the top little uh, layer to get to the bread, and then there's a second layer of cellophane to get to the uh, to, to get to the the juice in a couple moments. But first, we'll do the bread. So go ahead and get that ready.
And again, I remind you, uh, this, this sacrament is for uh, everyone here who is a believer in the Lord Jesus. If you're not a believer, if you don't understand the things that Dave was talking about, if you don't think that you've been, uh, you, you know, uh, personally reconciled to God through Christ's work, then we encourage you just to uh, see one of us afterwards. But for everyone who is a believer, uh, this meal is for you. So friends, let us come to the Lord's table together. For what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from it, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you that through the work of Jesus Christ, we are able to come to this table. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit now, Lord, so that we might experience your grace fresh and anew. Friends, if you go ahead and take the bread and join with me as I pray to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we profess that you are the eternal Son of God and that you became truly and fully human for us and for our salvation. In you, the fullness of God dwells bodily so that you are the God-man. As one who is truly and fully human, you are perfectly righteous, fulfilling our obligations to God. And as one who is truly and fully God, your obedience and suffering in our place are of infinite value, bearing the full wrath of God against our sin and conquering Satan and death, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Lord, we believe these things, and we take this bread in faith, proclaiming that you have done all of this for us, and we receive all of this not by works, but by faith alone. Friends, take and eat. Lord, as we hold this cup, we profess that we have sinned and that there is no forgiveness of sins apart from the shedding of blood. We also profess, Lord Jesus, that you shed your sinless blood so that we might be forgiven. Through your blood, we have been redeemed cleansed and purified, having all our sins completely forgiven and removed so that we are counted as sinless because of your grace. 
Therefore, we give you thanks for your precious blood, and we take this cup in remembrance of your sacrifice for us. Friends, take and drink. Why don't you stand together with me as I conclude us in prayer and then a benediction. And I encourage you again, I'm going to basically be, my prayer is largely uh, joined together by multiple prayers of Paul, including here in Colossians 1. So I encourage you to uh, join with me to cry out to God to seal all this to, to our hearts. Father, you have loved us from before the foundation of the world, choosing us to be adopted as your sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. We give you praise for your glorious grace. Lord Jesus, in you we have redemption through your blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of your grace, which you lavished on us. We give you praise for your glorious grace. Holy Spirit, you have sealed us as the people of God, and you are the guarantee of our inheritance, keeping us until all is fulfilled. We give you praise for your glorious grace. Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, fill us with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom so that we might walk in a manner worthy of you, pleasing you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened by you so that we may have great patience and endurance and joyfully give you thanks in everything. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would do this in us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. I encourage you, friends, now receive the full blessing of your God. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from his Holy Spirit and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, you are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thanks to everyone. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.